Hello, and welcome to In the Limelight, Vanity Fair's entertainment and pop culture podcast. I'm Josh Dubois, Vanity Fair senior writer, and I'm here with Julie Miller, Vanity Fair senior Hollywood writer. On In the Limelight, we analyze the ins and outs of pop culture, entertainment, and celebrity from the past week, from the Kardashians to Kate Middleton and everything in between. So hopefully most of you or some of you got to see the big Lifetime premiere last night of Harry and Meghan's uh, Becoming Royal, the second Lifetime movie. Uh, we are going to discuss this at length, I think, because we have a lot to say. It's obviously the fictionalized sequel. We should stress that. They definitely take their liberties, uh, which chronicles Meghan and Harry's relationship from the wedding planning stage right through to the baby news. And I I have to say, just out of the gate, that I really commend Lifetime. It's a a somewhat bold endeavor, I would say, to attempt to recreate all of these events so quickly after they've happened and on such a meager budget. Like, they cannot (laughs) match, you know, the high-end designers, the bespoke wardrobes that Queen Elizabeth, you know, is wearing, so. It reminds me a little bit of when not Halloween costumes, but like it was like the it was a facsimile of every outfit, but with like a weird vibe to it where it was like off, you know? Right. It, it's it's amazing. It's, it brings a little bit of camp to the yes. viewing. It's a lot of fun. So you kind of never forget that you're watching this Lifetime version, but I really loved it. And I also, I mean, just it's so brave to me that Lifetime dove straight into all these scandals leading up to the wedding, like the Thomas Markle of it all, the Samantha Markle of it all. They got into the Oprah a little bit. You don't look as impressed as I was. <laughs> no, I, I think they did a really good. I mean, they they. I was shocked at how much they got into. I think I texted you. It almost felt like. Like almost every even like Daily Mail related rumor that I wouldn't have thought they necessarily even pick up on, like the 5 a.m. emails or the um, fit of the dress, like things that were kind of more like less mainstream news items, but stuff that we were obsessed with. Like they they like dug into it all. Like so they their research team, I feel like was listening to in the limelight or something because there was just a lot they got into that did not that surprised me. And right, right. and then yes, I totally agree with like Thomas Markle and the Queen, or like certain interactions. They like took things in unexpected directions. We need to talk about the William treatment, the Kate oh treatment. Like, like sometimes I was like surprised about how exactly they were deciding to approach a character because it seemed right. really out of nowhere. Or um, there was someone where I was thinking they came off so well. Oh, Charles and Camilla. Has anyone been as cool as Lifetime's Prince Charles? We'll get into it a the little Prince bit. Prince Charles like younger than Harry. Like I was so confused. <laughs> I want whatever sedative cocktail he's got going because nothing bothers him. None of the Tom Markle drama. Like he. No, he, we'll and get, he kept making these kind of wry jokes. I felt it was definitely a funny characterization. Right. Well, I feel like we could start with. I mean, they dive right into it with Bogart. Bogart is dressed before minute two, which blew me out of the water. (laughs) That I was not expecting that. So the film, for those who haven't yet seen it, it opens on a wedding. And at first you think, oh, is this Meghan and Harry's wedding? But it's Meghan filming the suit's wedding. And it's it's her final Which is confusing. It's a little confusing. (laughs) Because I was for sure, I was like, oh, they're starting. I thought they were going to do one of those, like... uh, 
not that this is like a Christopher Nolan movie, but they were like I thought they were gonna st- yeah, I thought they were gonna start with the wedding and then do nine months earlier, you know? But that would be oh a level God. of sophistication that I don't quite I don't know. I would love that though. Like Megan wakes up on her wedding morning and can't remember how she got there, how she met Prince Harry, and she just has to figure it out. The memento style, like tracing the clues back. That's like the thriller version I think we should do as an adaptation or something. I would love that. So Megan says goodbye to her cast, her beloved Suits cast. I was surprised the director of Suits, the fictional director of Suits, made a catty comment about how the royal family will Mm -hmm. surely be like all warm and fuzzy and welcome Megan with open arms. And then cut to Megan saying goodbye to Bogart. And I just love that they, like, solved this mystery because, as we know, Bogart was deemed too old to travel with Megan and Guy, her other rescue dog, overseas. The palace issued a statement somewhat insanely saying that Bogart would be in good care staying with good friends, but we never knew exactly where where he would be. It it was bold. They basically decided they were just going to take it upon themselves to answer this question. And... The and it was interesting that they basically just somewhat randomly to me thought decided she, that the dog was staying with Jessica Mulroney because I feel like that can be pretty easily disproven. Right. I mean, we we would know. Do you follow Jessica Mulroney on Instagram? She's she she, is she would prolific she, she would have Instagram. to do a really good job of hiding a dog i feel if she had one because she right. you are seeing every like pool she has three kids so you're always seeing them in the in you know dancing around the house eating dinner going out to the pool you're seeing their date nights she's like i feel like i know more about her life than i know about like my family members because of like she instagram stories constantly and we should also talk about her portrayal in the movie because she was surprisingly a kind of major character i felt um, Major. She was like the conciliary. How do you pronounce that again? Conciliary or yes. Yeah, but also I felt it was interesting that she, the actress cast as her, looked so much like her in a way that was almost shocking. Like this, th- this actress getting the call to play Jessica Mulroney, just like because I don't know, I just feel like it must have been her luckiest day that Megan happened to have a friend that looked so much like her. Um, That's such a good call. But yeah, so she gives Bogart to Jessica. And then is there like dialogue around it? Yes, Josh. Yes, there's so much dialogue that we're going to have lots of FaceTimes. Like they address the fact that they're not going to be together. So she says they're going to have a lot of FaceTimes. And then there are Bogart callbacks later in the movie. Well, the dog through line is kind of a heavy C-plot, I would say. (laughs) Right, where (laughs) Megan says, oh, Guy misses Bogart. Bogart must be missing Guy. And then at some other point, she's on FaceTime with Jessica, and I says something. She says something like, "You know, Bogart wouldn't care about that, would he?" And then also they quote unquote solve the mystery of why we don't really know anything about the new dog. We're jumping ahead a little now, but we are. But I feel like they added in a lot of dog backstory, and they took great liberties. I was kind of loving it though. Um, right. Because what was it with the sec- the new dog is that Megan wanted something that the public didn't know about. So the new dog was going to be like their private secret. Right. So Harry went out and found this like perfect puppy. Did the puppy have a bow on it when he presented the puppy to Megan? I feel like in my mind... There was a he- weird moment because he was kind of cradling the puppy to surprise Megan when she came back from Toronto. And then she w- he says something to her meaning the dog, like, um, 
Megan is going to like you more than she likes me. But then Megan opens the door and hears that. And she goes. Right. And she's like, I could never. I could never like like anyone more than I like you, Harry. But then she sees the dog and goes crazy and loves it. But I was blown away that in that scene, they not only crossed off the like the new dog exposition, but they also incorporated Megan's pregnancy reveal to Harry. Right. That was an action-packed 20 seconds. (laughs) This fictional day was everything happened for them, basically. The new dog, the new baby. She found out, right, she was pregnant. She felt sick all of a sudden with Jessica. God, there's so many other things. I have have my list of things we'll get into later because there's other things that I thought were wacky in terms of other characters they made up to enter into the mix. I was going to bring up that queen secretary who ends up being this pivotal character. Well, right. That's totally fictional. I did a little bit of research. <laughs> oh, is he based on someone real? I assumed I he was completely so. fictional. I, right. I think he was some sort of um, amalgamation of catty palisades. When Megan, she, within the first 45 seconds, 90 seconds, she's left behind her family, her friends, her career, her social media, her privacy. And what does Harry do to kind of reciprocate to express his appreciation he has a welcome party with a homemade welcome to your new home megan banner <laughs> and <laughs> which i just love that i love it too and also that felt so um like they wanted ways that were cheap to kind of like dress up the set you know what i mean like i feel like they couldn't really make it look like the palace or like frogmore cottage so it just is funny to me that that's what they decided to go for Right, I know. And then William's hanging out there making these catty asides yeah. about California, the feng shui of the room. Slash, or- <laughs> I just like demean the sign, but like next time Julia comes to New York, I'm definitely making <laughs> the same kind of sign and hanging it in the podcast studio for when she comes in and we're going to film her reaction and post it. So <laughs> be careful what you wish for or didn't wish for in this case. Um, wait, also time before we even get into things more, what did you think of the casting of Harry and Meghan? I thought it was good. There are there are different actors right. um, than there were for the first movie. I spoke to Tiffany Smith, who plays Meghan Markle. I liked her. She was lovely, yeah. and she took the role so seriously, and she was very sweet talking about how this was her first leading role, and it meant so much to her that she could play someone she respects. Wow. Did you ask, or did she say anything about if she had been told ever that she looks like Megan or, or resembles Megan? Or? Yes. She said that she has friends who always said that she looked like this girl on Suits, and whenever they missed Tiffany, they would watch Megan on Suits to feel like they were closer to her. She does. There were certain scenes where I did feel like there was a striking resemblance. Right, right. I mean, most... Most of the time, it was always funny to me, though, when they would try to recreate a classic outfit or photo op. I mean, so bold. (laughs) Because in those cases, it was never quite obviously like the real thing. But but there were moments, I don't know, certain angles where I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see that she looks a lot like her. It's a little interesting to me that Lifetime wouldn't accept some sort of product placement, like sponsorship deal in exchange for a little bit more budget. Like I, I would be totally fine seeing like Harry drive an Audi or like yeah, Megan have or, a branded um, kombucha. <laughs> completely. The Harry did not look like Harry to me, but he was fine. He was fine. He was fine. He w- he looked close enough. Like it yeah, was okay. exactly. If like you kind of took your contacts out, maybe and watched it like slightly blurry. <laughs> he was a dead ringer. Okay, so Christmas though was a wild set piece right at the beginning, which really 
I feel like I sent you 18 texts while I was watching this on Friday because the the whole gift giving exchange really threw me. So basically to set the scene here, we all we've talked about this before. When you go to the Christmas at the Queens, you're supposed to give her a gag gift. It's like a famous tradition. So the Lifetime movie really gets into this. And there's a whole drama over whether Megan's going to get her the right thing. And I felt like they decided to make up what she gave the queen, which kind of just shocked me. So they decided that she gave her a singing hamster, which the queen loves in the movie. Did that feel weird to you also? I mean, I guess actually, now that I'm thinking about it more, maybe that was a good guess, that kind of gift. Well, as you said, the set piece was so insane that that to me was the most believable moment, I think, of the entire Christmas scene. The hamster choice. Yeah. Right. One one of the more believable moments. We also see Kate and she kind of can't keep track of all of her kids. So she doesn't have time to have like a heartfelt conversation with Megan. Yeah. I can see that happening. But the queen's whole demeanor was a lot to The queen, I just... I, I, I feel like you need to do a follow-up interview with the actress who played the queen to really get into this all with her. I want, like, an inside the actor's studio of you and the <laughs> actress who played the queen, like, James Lipton style, because she really decided that the queen was this fun-loving, kind of um, crass, uh, kind of wild party animal type who right. I don't even... I feel weird even discussing it because it's kind of, like, vulgar, but she does this, like, charade that's kind of off-color. A Um, little (laughs) off-color. And we know that they play charades, so that wasn't surprising to me. But, yes, her her interpretation of that role, I want to know what her inspirations. I'm trying to think of, like, whose energy that was that she was channeling. I was also cracking myself up. I was also... I cannot believe I wasn't watching this with you somewhere. But I was cracking myself up imagining some sort of highlight reel someone would make of, you know, Claire Foy playing the queen, Helen Mirren playing the queen, (laughs) you know, like, all the different representations of the queen that we're all used to in the media, uh, and then adding this one to the Pantheon because it was such a different take. (laughs) If she had just, like, pulled out a bottle of tequila and started pouring people shots, like, that would have aligned with that vibe. I know, that was the backstory and motivation she was giving us. So she does this whole charade where it's about passing gas, and it's uncomfortable to watch. It's It's gone with the wind. That moment shook me to my core, where the queen enacts Gone with the Wind. I almost couldn't watch the rest of the movie, I have to be honest with you. Josh did take a break. He stopped watching it partway through, which took me by surprise. But now that we're going through, I understand I just why. could not understand that. Um, and then also, wait, sorry, right before that, you, you, you touched on this briefly. I thought it was interesting, the Kate coverage or the Kate interpretation, because... Kate isn't in the movie that much, but her kind of big opening scene with Megan, Megan's trying to connect with her about how difficult everything is and how, um, I don't know, stressful life is being a royal or whatever. I forget exactly what they're talking about. And Kate is portrayed as super distracted by the kids and by like everything going around. It was a right. weird it was weird like she couldn't she couldn't connect with Megan because she was just not able to focus and I was trying to figure out where they got that from Right it was a little sitcom mom portrayal yes. I, I was thinking maybe Devil's Advocate they didn't want to get into because of course leading up to the wedding there were so many reports pitting Kate against Megan 
So maybe mm. they're giving her the benefit of the doubt that, of course, she has three kids. She's very busy with them. Of course, we don't see any of the child care Kate and William right. have here. Kate's so, like single mom in it in Lifetime's <laughs> I also movie. love how Christmas takes place in what looks like a Holiday Inn lobby kind of setup. <laughs> Like, that's where Kate and Megan are having this conversation by the quote-unquote buffet. How about, though, so the whole Megan's working up her courage this through this right. whole Christmas scene to talk to the queen about incorporating an African-American preacher in the wedding ceremony. This is another Meghan Markle mystery that I thought it was very bold that Lifetime just jumped right into and kind of offered its own explanation of what happened. So after the queen has responded well to the singing hamster and she's done her gone with the wind bit, they sit her down and they say, we want to have an African-American preacher. And her response, Josh, what did you think of this response? Well, this goes along, I feel, with what we talked about, about the portrayal of the queen and the way she approached the character. But she's so on board with it. What did she even, she said something, I can't remember what the exact line is. She said, I was thinking the same exact thing. Oh, right. I was thinking the same thing. And then Charles chimes in, and it's like they're all super on board with it. And right. She said she loves, like, the passion that that sort of preacher would bring. Yeah. And she calls it, calls it raw God. I love some yeah. raw God. <laughs> that, that also was around where I think I was just in my state of shock. I kind of think that the way they approach the queen, the more I think about it, maybe was the only way they could do it. Because... I feel like you don't really want to. Well, I don't know. The, would the queen be happy with this interpretation, though? Um, I don't. It's like the carnival cruise approximation <laughs> of Queen Elizabeth, or something. Totally. I don't know. <laughs> I was. I. I. I was taken aback, but I kind of liked it. It was interesting, though. I think what they did, not to get too analytical about this movie, but I think they wanted to get at the rumors that there was like bristling in the palace but they didn't want to pin it on Kate or the queen or any of the real people. So that's why they made up the fictional cousin, whoever that the blonde was who, right. Like she's not a real person as best I can tell. Right. So, and she's the one who's kind of disdainful about everything and the kind of Piers Morgany newscaster who they keep cutting to, I feel like they they made up two kind of straw man stand-ins to represent the kind of antagonistic strains, right? Oh my gosh, Josh! No one has given. I'm gonna write my American Studies paper about this. I know. Who knew? A critical analysis. I cannot believe I just even talked about that movie in in this way. But you know what I mean? I feel like they wanted to make up the fake people to be the real villains, which makes sense because they didn't want they didn't want to pin it on the queen or anyone. Right. They didn't want any lawsuits. Really? Like an inside the writer's room thing here. God. (laughs) All right. What did you think of the Thomas Markle of it all? Talk about villains, though. They actually did not spare him, I feel. They did not spare him. I think they, they, well, they were a little easier on him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They did. I mean, that was Megan's real show-stopping scene, the actress who played (laughs) Megan. She breaks down wearing a spiritual gangster. Is that what it said on her T-shirt? Yes, sweatshirt. Um, And then (laughs) when she finds out Thomas is like not coming to the wedding or that he had the heart attack, something like that, right? Um, The phone call with her, Harry and her and him, 
she just like waterfalls. I mean, that should be what she submits for her Emmy reel. Truly, truly. I mean, again, the actor that they chose to play Tom Markle, he has this really gravelly, unexpected baritone. It's like he's speaking through some sort of like voice distorter, <laughs> trying to make like a kidnapping threat. But yeah, like a Batman villain kind of thing. Right. So that kind of shook me, I guess. And you hear him, he's talking about the staged photos. Of course, we don't know they're staged at this point. But I just love that he is so trying so hard to impress Megan. They do give him a little sympathy. He says something like, you know, they were so much better than those photos the photographers took of me buying a toilet. Oh, right. I also felt, though, as we said, it was a it was jarring the initial portrayal, but I do think ultimately, I think they allude to maybe that he posted that le- or you know revealed the contents of that letter Megan sent him later. But they kind of don't focus on him as much as they could have. Right, they don't get into all the times he spoke to press yeah. and the TMZ of it all. They and they and 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 speaking of the portrayal of Charles, Charles swoops in with Camilla to be like the knights in shining armor. And kind of saved the day for Megan in a way that I do not feel like that's how that actually played out. Maybe it is, but it seemed that seemed like an interesting choice to me also. His actual response to hearing about the whole Thomas staged photo debacle and then the heart attack where we still don't know whether or not it's real is, I wasn't always the best father either. Yeah, what? I really did not understand that. Uh, that was played so casually, which I guess I sort of, I don't know. Sometimes right. I feel like they took things in a direction that was super casual for what it actually was. And other times, like for the um, the ongoing plot of what she was going to choose for the cover of the cookbook, which was treated like the biggest story of the past year. Um, and also was, I think, fictionalized, right? I mean, I don't remember ever coming across anything about drama over what the cover of the cookbook was going to be. Right, but it, it was a nice way of, I guess, Symbol- telegraphically. Yeah. yeah, the fact that Megan was having a hard time keeping maintaining her. God, sense look of at self. us doing a metaphor analysis <laughs> and everything. All right, I got. I wrote down so many like quotes that are just fragments from when I was watching that I don't even remember where they were from. Like I wrote down, "Open up the heart chakra." Did Megan say that at one point? Yes, I was. I was amazed. Right, how did that come up? Oh, emeralds, emeralds. That's why she wanted the emerald tiara, remember? Because Oh, it was going to open up the heart chakra. (laughs) That was a great choice by the writers. I love that choice to kind of, to explain why she wanted the emerald tiara. She says that she wanted to open up the heart chakra, which I guess the emerald would do. God knows, someone can explain that to me. And then Julie, I wrote down, they play rock, paper, scissors in bed with like 30 question marks. Do you remember that? Yes, they're they're treating it like they've never shared a bed before. But oh, that like Megan's who? Megan's first night in Kensington Palace. Um, they're trying to decide who gets the left side of the bed. And, and they, they play rock, rock paper, paper scissors. scissors. God, I have a lot of other things. You've too, never done that. You've never done that, Josh. <laughs> I've never done a casual rock paper scissors in bed situation. Not to get we're verging into PG thirteen territory here now. I love Samantha's cameo, though, because I was wondering how they were going to treat her. And as far as I could tell, the only really mention we get is when they're they're figuring out their wedding guest list. And the first thing we see Megan do is scratch out Samantha on that list of potential guest names with such intensity. How much? And it's like uh, a close up, a close up on Samantha's name as she scratches it out. 
how disappointed do you think the real Samantha was that she wasn't made like a pivotal character in the movie? Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm she's kind even of shocked. Gonna... She... Oh, you don't think she's even going to watch it? Well, I don't think she's going to talk about the movie. I think oh, she no, would have no, loved. No. Yeah, she. I think she would have loved, loved to have been a main she, character. Oh my god, she would have played herself. Stop <laughs> casting. For I'm no fee. Even, like, show, I'm, I'm honestly shocked she didn't just show up on set, <laughs> like uninvited. Um, yeah, consultant. that that was that whole um scene was kind of interesting too because then they added in Harry wanting to invite Chelsea Davy. And Megan being super cool with it. Right. Like she was such an important part of your life. And then if she, there was that cousin of Harry's that's fictional that he wanted to invite. I, you know what it is? I didn't like the fictional aspects because it takes away from the whole, their whole point is that it's trying to be what actually happened. And when you add in fictional characters, it kind of creates this weird gloss on the whole thing. Right. Anyway, not not to I'm I'm not going to lose sleep over that though. <laughs> I'll try to find it in my heart. I love that they tried to kind of explain the Oprah invites to the wedding but not completely. That was weird too because they kind of made it seem like it was a negotiating a deal or something. Right, that Harry had to negotiate with Buckingham Palace that she would be able to go. Harry said he had to explain to them that she was both a friend and American royalty and deserved to be there. And I guess Buckingham Palace said, okay, on the grounds that you don't do You don't do any interviews. It was interesting to me. I feel like they had a whiteboard of all the kind of lingering questions and they decided to just kind of come up with these creative interpretations you know, why did why did Megan never give an interview to Oprah? You know, and they kind of came up with these little backstories, which is kind of funny. Right. I and as Harry's negotiating this, Megan is at the kitchen counter just like chopping vegetables. <laughs> oh yeah, that vegetable chopping scene. Um, also the Me Too Times Up inclusion, which was when Harry was kind of defending Megan to William, I guess. I must have like blanked out during this. <laughs> but they that was another example to me of the writers trying to come up with like an interesting cinematic backstory to something happening where there was some sort of, you know, that was the reason Harry wanted to make sure that Megan's voice was being heard. Um, oh. But I, I was into that. We should also get into William. So the portrayal of William was jarring to say the least he is sort of presented at every turn as the one who is sort of skeptical of harry and megan's love and skeptical of how much she's talking about stuff and making waves i feel like he keeps saying things like um you know she needs to be careful or like we're royal you know stuff like that he's kind of like the constant negative voice which I guess there was a little bit to go on there because obviously in real life we know that the household split up and they get into that too and sort of make it all build into that as like the final, you know, whatever of that plot. But I was surprised. They really don't hold back for William. I know. If anyone was going to be a villain, I was surprised. I do like that they didn't, as you said at the beginning, I like that they didn't make it about a Kate versus Megan cat fight thing, which right. that you could have seen them go that route. Um, right. And and they do have him, his his little digs at Harry, I think, are in line with their playful relationship, what we know about their relationship. But I don't know, just the, the yeah. portrait, I, it was a little villain, villainous, it felt. 
I guess they used it as a way, right? There was it was always lighthearted. You never felt like there was actual friction or huge conflict, but it felt like that was their way of getting into the split between the two couples and sort of any dissenting opinion about Megan because the Queen and Charles, as they portray them, are on board from the beginning. Right. I know. It, in my lifetime fantasy version of what this movie would be, I just want to see, like, the four of them, the Fab Four, getting together for, like, margaritas. Yeah. It was funny, too, when they... Yeah, I wanted more scenes. I liked whenever they did a scene that was fully just making up them hanging out, which you didn't get a lot of. No. And finally, when Megan makes it over to Kate's, they're going to have, like, a little chat over tea. Oh, right. And then George... Kate gets out, like, 10 seconds of of advice before Prince Louis has to ruin it, waking up from a nap. Oh, right. But then there's also that scene where George and Charlotte come over and Meghan says that line about how within every princess there's a dragon and you have to figure out when to unleash her. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I did not... Oh, my gosh. I took that down with a quill and parchment (laughs) to remember for the rest of my life. It was this gorgeous monologue. It was... (laughs) Wait, what scene was that in? Oh my gosh, I can't believe... I'm going to have to make you rewatch this again. So there was this scene where Kate's talking to Megan about, uh, you know, kind of the way of... No, that would be a different scene when Megan has the idea of the four of them coming out together at Christmas and Kate and Megan will be standing in the middle together. And then Megan's like, why didn't you warn me about that weird brown hat I wore last year? And then... This is not ringing any bells for you, huh? And then George and Charlotte come out because they're playing some sort of princess and dragon game. Megan kind of plays with Charlotte and George, and then she says something. They say something like, oh, Megan, a real-life princess. And then she says to Charlotte, every princess has some dragon inside, and it's about unleashing it when, you know, their time is right or something. And that's I butchered that. But then Kate says, listen to your aunt, Charlotte. She knows what she's talking about. So it's this redeeming moment for now Megan kind of knows what's up and has this kind of full circle moment at the end. Man, I can't believe I lost interest (laughs) in these meaningful moments. Yeah, geez. Okay, wait, I want to know what you thought also of Doria and Megan. Doria kind of has a big role, I would say. They put down on a piece of parchment somewhere that Doria calls Megan Flower, and they really ran with that because they feel like they just keep having her call Megan Flower. Right, and she's such a sage presence, yeah. always just one FaceTime away whenever Megan feels like she's losing sense yes. of herself. And they actually give Doria this linchpin moment because yes. when the cookbook is about to come out and Megan has decided she's just going to have tomatoes on the cover or basic foods. Doria responds, I don't want you to shy away from the truth of who these women are. Megan replies, you mean the truth of who I am? I love that. <laughs> what a moment. But I love that after, so she makes a decision to stick with the cookbook, but like two scenes later, we see her like staying true to the truth of herself. And she does so by like throwing those pantyhose oh, wow, into yeah. the trash. <laughs> I forgot about the pantyhose scene. Oh my gosh. See, I (laughs) transcribed this because it's before, it's the morning or afternoon of the Hamilton events where she shows up wearing that sort of tuxedo dress with no pantyhose. Okay, so so she tells this palace aide that things have to start changing. 
and they can start with these. And she rips the pantyhose off of their hanger, and she's like, I can't sit back anymore. She throws the offending accessory into the wastebasket. She says, I'm not wearing them on tour, and I'm not wearing them to the Hamilton event tonight. For the sake of this baby, I have to live up to who I want to be. So for the event that night, she goes on, I want to wear a black tuxedo dress as a reference to menswear in a statement that women can do anything that a man can do. Josh, what did you think about that monologue? Well, again, I feel like this was a really funny moment where they decided for some reason that the Hamilton outfit needed to be explained. There was another moment like this, too, when she's talking to this queen advisor and they're going over the summer schedule and she's talking about the royal ascot and how she wants to do a um my fair lady a my fair lady homage. homage i feel like this was another example with the hamilton one though where they wanted to kind of make it into this sort of cinematic whole stand and to me it worked okay actually i was about to say i don't I know if it worked but i kind of did feel i'm thinking back now and that scene was powerful i'm, I'm into watch it watch that I, scene every morning before i come to work and I thought I thought they did a good job actually. I'm gonna go I'm gonna kind of side with you more from what we were saying earlier about the cookbook thing of picking these kind of small moments to make into bigger things. Some of them work better than others though. For for example, when they discussed the fit of her wedding dress, that was weird to me. That they was bizarre. for that they kind of tried to explain the the fact that it looked a little loose by her saying that she had seen a different bride who was wearing a dress that was too tight and she wanted to be able to breathe in her dress. But that seemed right. sort of like added in and tacked on. And I feel like they could have just cut that. Right. It was the next morning in bed with Harry. Harry mm-hmm. hadn't asked. <laughs> hmm That felt like a weird sort of like added in thing. But yeah, the Hamilton one worked for me. I thought the pantyhose thing was a little, you know... I mean, obviously none of this happened exactly like they're portraying it. But then the explanation for why she wanted to dress in the way she does, I was into. I'm curious what you thought of the framing device, though, of the two news anchors who... It should have been you and me playing those parts. Um, But I feel like having these two news anchors... I was into it at first, and then when I realized what they were doing with the guy being this kind of racist, awful, I guess, based on Piers Morgan-ish. That's what I saw someone on Twitter saying. I don't know. But then her being this champion and Megan watching every episode of this show, it seemed a little, like, oversimplified and a little weird, but I guess I understand what they were going for. Right. I like the ambition and the framing device. It felt like they were really going for it with that. I mean... We could teach an entire seminar just about this. I know. I want to see... I I wrote down so many other little bits of dialogue that just really jarred me. Oh, West Coast Energy. They referenced that directly in the 5 a.m. text, which I loved. I felt like that was a special shout-out to us. Um, And you actually see her, Harry, get out... They really dramatize it. Harry gets out of bed at 5 to find her with, like, her mood boards and her different, like, notes on the table in front of her. Then the closest thing I have to her religion is yoga, she says at one point, which I also loved. I think that was in reference (laughs) to converting. Right. It was right before she was baptized. Right. And then there was this... I don't remember... I got it. I didn't even always write down the whole context for these quotes. I wrote down strange I can do this chant I think she must have chanted I can do this at one point 
Oh, was this the event where she then lost it and she told Harry she needed to leave and he was like, okay, the event. And she was like, no, the country. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was... And then she flies to Jessica. Right. Um, then the whole thing with getting ready for the wedding dress where she last minute decides she's going to take that tendril out and then she goes, not perfect because they, they've been telling her she looks perfect and then she wants to take the, make the hair a little messy so that she can say that she's not perfect, which I thought was like a very on-the-nose, straightforward way of doing that, but was kind of funny. God. What about that, that car conversation between Doria and Megan on the way to oh, St. George's? Yeah, was that everything said, you wanted? Well, that was, to me, I remember when we were actually talking about the wedding itself, that was so... Um, I wanted like Sofia Coppola to do a movie just about the car ride because I was it was so interesting to think about the two of them just making this I think it was what 20 minute 30 minute car ride or something right to the wedding and what that would be like on your way to the event so I do feel like there was a lot of dramatic intrigue to get into there I thought they did a good job with that I mean I, I think too. they made it into a very sort of uh they really got into it and i don't know if they I, I'm, I wonder if they really did have such a you know like really talking about the issues and what megan stands for on the way to the wedding you know um right but it was good i thought doria was good the actress um I she was very good i wanted dramatizations of like amal and george and serena they didn't really get into that they didn't get into that. And I wish we could have seen the baby shower. Do you think that there's going to be a third installment? I know. I was waiting for the baby shower because, in fact, I felt... I can't remember what it even was, but there was a piece of dialogue that I felt alluded to it almost. Megan gave Kate a kind of a late gift for Prince Louis. And, and she that, said Yes. Kate and said, we're not allowed to have showers. We're not even allowed to accept gifts. I thought for sure we were going to get into a montage of her New York weekend and there was going to be some sort of, you know, one of the, they would cut to one of those news reports to comment on it being controversial. But no, we didn't get anything like that. So sad. Missed opportunity. Completely. I also wasn't sure, I guess maybe the timing, they couldn't really get in too much to Archie, obviously, and the whole pregnancy of it. But they kind of at the end... I was waiting for, like, the birth scene or something, and all you really get is them walking out with that stroller. Right. That's how it ends, right? And they, like, look into the carriage, I think. Oh, right, right. But I guess maybe, maybe they're saving that all for the next movie. I hope so. I need to reach out to Lifetime to get some more intel on that. Do, what do you think are the chances that Megan and Harry actually watched this? I had that thought a few times watching it last night because on one hand, I think there's no way they watched it. Just, you know, of course not. But then on the other, wouldn't there just be some slight... Wouldn't, I just feel like it's human nature. Maybe well, not right. to want to see yourself and how they would portray you and... I feel like if, if someone was doing a Lifetime movie about you and me, we would watch it. A hundred percent. Also, she's on maternity leave. Like. I don't know. I feel like maybe the only thing I could think of even... I was wondering if maybe she got a screener, so she has it, and then hasn't really decided yet if she wants to watch it. And I think that they Lifetime actually did a very good job 
it was very pro Megan. Megan yes. wasn't able to respond to any of those negative reports, and I felt like in a way this is kind of giving her the benefit of the doubt. I can see Megan watching this and then taking out that calligraphy pen and writing <laughs> Tiffany Smith like a, a beautiful nice note, hands written. Yes, yes, I could see that too. Also, I was thinking though, it's interesting because we obviously are, you know, on the very, very, very extreme side of the spectrum in terms of actually knowing the day-to-day of what happens with her. But a casual viewer who just, you know, read about this Lifetime movie and decided to watch it and was interested in Megan probably doesn't necessarily know what's fact and fiction here. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like some of them probably think that she actually did, you know, decide to invite Oprah for that reason. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like right. there, there was a lot of some of the liberties taken. They wouldn't know. So it is kind of in a weird way working as like the record for some people, I would imagine. Right. Which I just find interesting. And in that event, too, I feel like, yeah, Megan should be happy. It was like it was a nice. I thought she did a really good job, actually, that actress. No, I, I agree. Because they kind of get into the complexities she also, like, I feel like they really try to hammer home that she wants to do it her way. I know. And at one point, she even has to tell Harry. Harry tries to control, not control. The black he nail says, polish. The black nail isn't polish. Isn't that dark nail polish a little much? You might be seen as some sort of rebel. And she puts him in check. I love that that was the place they decided to make their fight. The black nail polish for the uh, British Fashion Awards event. I know. It's just so good. Um... All in all, I feel like they they managed to squeeze in a lot. They added enough that was sort of sort of weird and titillating to kind of be interesting, but kept it mainly. I mean, the Queen portrayal was still wild. Oh, and then at the end, the Queen gets tea with Meghan to basically, I guess that was a little less weird, but basically just to like give her some of her patronages and tell her she's doing a great job. Right, I know. It was a lot. But I'm so curious what you guys thought. Did you watch? What were your hot takes? Yeah, I, I want to know. I want to know um, what everyone thought and what people's different reaction was, which characters popped out for them, which didn't. Yeah, really excited to hear all of that. And next week, we're going to have a lot to discuss when the president arrives in London to have like a three-day visit I guess with Harry will be coming to some lunch. Apparently Megan will be on maternity leave. Kate and William will go to the gala. I'm sure all sorts of hijinks will happen. Also to look forward to next week, I am going to the big little eyes, New York premiere tomorrow night. So I will have to, I wish Julia was going to be with me so badly, but I will have a lot to discuss next week about that. Um, Meryl, the Meryl. I know. Seeing, I cannot wait to see Meryl. I assume it's going to be the whole cast, right, at the New York premiere? Yes, I'm so jealous. Are they going to screen the first episode? Yeah, so I will be seeing the first episode tomorrow night. But I'll have my review of the first episode next week for everyone. Yeah, let us know what you thought of the Lifetime movie. What other questions, thoughts you have? Sort of a low-key... Maybe Megan did watch it, because it's not really up to much else. Right. Well, thanks, everyone. That does it for this week's episode of In the Limelight. I don't think I've ever done a thanks, everyone, before like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's all, folks. Please remember to check us out, Apple Podcasts, all of that. Let us know what you think of everything. As always, you guys are the best. You can also reach out to us and leave us a voicemail at 347-790-0966. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at In The Limelight, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Julie W. Miller. And I'm at Jay Duboff. We're also on Instagram at In The Limelight Pod. 
This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. And until then, no no bad bad energy. energy.